Tonight we are in our first step in which we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, but our eyes have become unmanageable. Now we begin the, the, the 12 steps. As we said, they are the outline of the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, a step-by-step -step plan to recover. The first 100 people recovered from this illness, they laid down a step-by-step -step plan for those who came behind. And I thank God for the first 100 people because they left a, a, a path for us to walk. And this path was clearly marked by 12 steps and as we guide us through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. And as we go through these steps before we begin, you know, recovery from alcoholism is just like recovery from any other problem. The, the procedure is simple. Uh, and it's, it, it was made simple for a lot of confused, mixed up people. <laughs> it was just a path that was laid out. In order to recover from a, a problem, there is a, but one way to recover from a problem. The first step in recovering from a problem is to find out what is the problem. And that's very important that part of the procedure, but that's what we're going to be talking about tonight, because that's the foundation of recovery. What is the problem? That is the first step. And once we find that, that information is, is, is really the foundation because it affects everything else that we're going to talk about. And this is why the first step is so important. The first step our first step is a problem statement. The problem is that we're powerless of alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. Now, once we have the problem, and then it's from the problem, from the first step, that all the other information is gathered. Because once we see the problem, it's from the problem that we determine the solution. which is the second step. Now we're going to understand the problem really is powerless. And if the problem is powerless, then the solution would be power. So the first step shows us what is the problem, which is powerless. And the second step is going to talk about the solution being power. Then the last 10 steps of recovery is simply a plan to find that power. Steps 3 through 12 will show us how to find that power which will solve the problem. But we can see how important the first step is because if, the, if we don't have the first step, if the problem, if we don't understand the problem correctly, the solution will be wrong and the plan program of action will be wrong. So the foundation of the whole thing is what is the problem? And this is the first step. Alcohol has been a problem since the beginning of time. It's the oldest known drug used by mankind in the world. Alcohol is a drug. <laughs> and uh, in the beginning, certain people, uh, we, we always wonder, you know, there's a lot of stories on how this all began. We said, I remember one, I guess, as good as any other, about how this caveman was in his cave one day, making some, he had some grapes. And he was throwing his grapes in the back of the cave, and uh, he would just love grapes. And uh, 
while he was doing that, a big fat hog run by his door, and he said, he, you know, he said, boy, I'd like to have some barbecue in some place of these grapes. So he, he, he just run off and he dropped what he was doing and started chasing this hog. And when, with the tools and the weapons he had of his day, time he caught up with the hog and did the killing job and dressed him and got him back in a few days. When he got back to his cave, his, uh, his grapes had gotten sour and spoiled. He felt, and he was so hungry, he just went over and got a big handful of the juice and put it up to his mouth, and something magic happened to him. Bang, you know. He probably said, I ain't gonna waste no more of them damn grapes. You know, I found something here. <laughs> and as people begin to have problems with alcohol in the beginning of time, it was the non-alcoholic people, some of the people who could drink and some of them who didn't drink at all. It was the non-alcoholic people who tried to find out what was, what was wrong with the alcoholic. See, the attitudes toward, the attitudes and the images of alcoholism were created by the non-alcoholic. It was the non-alcoholics who said, well, uh, he, what is the problem? They said, well, maybe he's weak. Uh, Maybe he's sinful. It's a moral issue. They were trying to find out what was the problem with the drinker. The drinker was probably drinking. He didn't care what the problem was. <laughs> but over the years, there was a non-alcoholic people who developed the attitudes and the images of the alcoholic. You know, he's a bum. All that was created by the non-alcoholic people. Down through history, no one understood this problem, but everyone tried solutions. And did they try solutions? They tried everything on the alcoholic. There was not nothing that had been invented that hadn't been tried on the alcoholic. Um, but no one understood this. In the beginning of time, uh, we go all the way back to the Book of Books, and this was the earliest description of alcoholism was of Solomon. I love this in Proverbs. It's one of my favorite things. Huh? He says, you know, beware of the wine that booth is right in his cup, it's pretty much red, and it's but it lies its body like a serpent and sting is like an adder. He says, you know, he goes on to, in the beginning, he talks about you know, who has a redness of eyes. You know what I mean? Uh, he goes, to, he describes alcoholism and how it affects each individual. You know what I mean? And he said, you will be as one who lies down in the midst of a sea. You know, you swear around a lot. Or sleeping at the top of a mast. You know, at a mast of the ship sleeping just tosses. And he said, you will say they have beaten me and I felt it not. You know, some next morning you feel like somebody was beating on you night before and you're trying to recall what happened. You know, you got them bruises all over you. Them drunk bruises. And then he says, you know, he sure knew some of us fellas because he said, thine eyes shall behold strange women. <laughs> and this was Solomon thousands of years ago. It seemed like they were just like us. And, and our heart will utter perverse things. You'll say a lot of things you don't want to say. But then he said, but still yet, they will rise in the morning and they will seek it yet again. And they'll get up and still. He didn't understand. None of the great minds understood alcoholism. And we would understand the problem, and before that, before this time, when we didn't understand the problem of alcoholism, then we were, were victims of the problem. If you don't understand the problem, there's no way you can find a solution, there's no way you can treat it. Today, you know, we are 
have we the same way with cancer? You know, we, can, we don't have a solution for cancer, and we don't have a treatment for cancer because we don't understand it. What is the problem? Once the researchers are trying to find out what is the problem of cancer, the solution probably already exists, and then we'll know what to do. Before 1935, we didn't understand alcoholism. And this wasn't the first time. You know, God, this information came to the world many years ago. Just recently, I was just enthused with the looking uh, how God has worked in this world in the lives of alcoholics. I think it was early and early in uh, 1787, there was a, 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 a psychiatrist, a doctor in this country, who said alcoholism was a disease. He was the first person to say that. He, he really couldn't describe it too well, but uh, this, this went unheeded. Uh, didn't anybody pay attention to him? Uh, later on in 1812, the temperance movement began in this country because so alcohol was a problem in this country. Alcohol has always been a problem in America. Since the beginning of time. They say when the Mayflower came over, when the car, when it landed, most of the cargo was booze. <laughs> it's been a problem. And people were dying. And they, they went to do something about get people to cut down on their drinking and temper their drinking. They didn't understand the problem, but they, they could, they, they began some effort. And, and it's amazing the success they had, as we look back on it. These temperance movements had about one-third of the population signed a pledge not to drink. One-third of the population in this country at that time. But it failed. And later on, you know, the Washingtonian movement began. And the Washingtonians were, uh, as this movement, it was a bunch of, of people sitting around a tavern one night, alcoholics probably. <laughs> And there was a temperance movement down the street. Uh, temperance movement was having a meeting down the street. And this was in Chase's Tavern in Baltimore, America, Baltimore, Maryland, 1840. There were six alcoholics sitting around the table. And they went to this meeting, and they went down there to ingest, you know, to, to make fun of the people or to, or to see what they were doing. And, and something happened to them. They were very struck by something that was said there. And they came back, and the next night they met there, and they decided to to form a society of non-drinkers, and, and they did. And they started a movement, in a year they had a thousand members, and they spread and spread and spread. Six, eight, ten years, they, they had credited with having 700,000 members. They were more successful in a short period of time than the AA movement. They had spiritual concepts, and the, and the gist of their meetings were they would have people come up and talk about their drinking. This is where it began. And they would tell their stories. And they had spiritual concepts. But they didn't have any traditions. They didn't have any guidelines to their program. They got mixed up with other things. And the main reason they failed, they didn't have a planned program of recovery. They didn't have a program. And then in 1935, you know, God saw fit. The man, this thing takes place again. And they began with the doctor, and began in the, in the mind of Dr. Silkworth. You know, Dr. Shipworth was in town's hospital. He had went there to take a job because he couldn't find another one. Uh, he wanted a job, and he took a job at the town's hospital for $40 a week. Uh, uh, Dr. Shipworth didn't plan to do all this. He didn't plan to work with No doctor plans to work with alcoholics. By the way, they don't really like to work with alcoholics. In fact, they say alcoholics don't do what you tell them, which is true. <laughs> Some of the medical people say it's a self-inflicted illness, which it's not. 
Uh, and then he said, drunks don't pay their bills no way, which is true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, is, it ain't a lot of point to work with, have a doctor work with people like that. But Dr. Silkworth, you know, was on the farm. He was there at the town, remember? He went there in 1930. Until 1933, during his early years, every day he was on the job, on the job, worked with people, and the people he worked with came back and forth, back and forth. No one understood the problem. He couldn't do anything about the problem because he didn't understand it. And he saw people continue to come back, and he saw people die. He saw no one recover. I could see the frustrations this man went through. And although most of his colleagues said it was a sin, it was a weakness anyway, he began to he, he began to discern some something within these people. He said, "I believe, uh, I know, I see some driving force within these people that is driving these people to this destruction." And he said, "I can discern something within these people." And he was able to take this thing, and he was able to split this force into two things: part of it in the mind, part of it in the body. And he was he came up with the concept. And he said this was just his opinion, and he shared it with Bill when Bill came to the town's hospital in 1933. Now, really, this was the beginning of Alcoholics Anonymous at the town's hospital, when Dr. Silkworth discovered what is the problem. And I think we are very blessed as alcoholics tonight. You know, the only alcoholics in the United States, or in the world, rather, the only alcoholics in the world are in Alcoholics Anonymous. The rest of those people out there are not alcoholics. I don't, they don't know they're, they're alcoholics, but they don't know they're alcoholics. And alcoholism is a very strange illness. It's a unique illness. It's the only illness. It's very hard to make this diagnosis. And the first step is the, what is the problem with the diagnosis. And this is the first step in recovery to make a diagnosis. And it's hard to make this diagnosis because alcoholism is the only illness that tells the victim he ain't got it. You know, you can tell an alcoholic because the one that swears he ain't got it, has got it. <laughs> you know, one of these social drinkers say, you know, you say, you, you might be an alcoholic, he'll probably say, I might be, he ain't got it. It's the one that ain't got it, has got it. <laughs> and the only way you can get well from anything is find out you got it, right? You know, you do the same thing with a cold. You know, you go around, and the moment you catch a cold, you, you know, you don't realize it, but you have caught in the cold, you <laughs> go sneezing a little bit, and you say, oh, it's something in my throat, that's lying, you know Then you, your nose gets stopped up, you say, hmm, got something in my nose. My eyes get running, I got something in my eyes, you know. And so you deny long, and finally, you know, you keep on and say, hell, I'm catching the cold. That's the moment you can start taking some medicine, see what I mean? <laughs> See, we do that with our, we, we do that. And, and, and so the first step is, what is the problem? And I, as an alcoholic, and, and my, in my experience with alcoholism, you know, I did not know I was an alcoholic. I, knew what, I didn't even know what an alcoholic was, but I knew I wasn't one. Now, that's smart, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I'm not an alcoholic. Now, so the first step, and Dr. Silkworth told Bill, he said, first thing, he said, this is a disease. And I think the first thing, he said, Bill, he said, you're not, uh, you're not, you're not sick. 
You're not sorry, you're not, not weak. He said, you have an illness. You have a disease. You know, words won't change our lives. Ideas is what changes our lives. And there's one, there's one bad thing about ideas. In order to convey them, you have to put them into words to transfer them from one mind to the other. And sometimes, you know, uh, the idea gets mixed up in the word. The person gets the word, but he don't get the idea. So we have to be very careful that we get the idea. And disease is, is, is a self-explanatory word. It's real simple. You know, nine out of ten people who drink alcohol are at ease. We see them every day. Golly, I don't know much about it, but whatever they're doing, they're at ease with it. They take one or two drinks and then walk around and shake on it. Might might not take another one. Leave it and say, come back. Give me a fresh one. That one got warm. Now, they're at ease with alcohol. <laughs> No problem whatsoever. And one person over here, and that's me, he is this. Now this means back from, away from. You know, if nine people drink alcohol at ease and one of them is away from ease, then there is a condition that separates these people. Something causes this separation. And, our, and the disease is alcoholism. Alcoholism is a condition that separates people from the normal patterns of health. This person is healthy, and this person is ill. And what causes this is alcoholism. Once we have a disease, we have to find out, in order to recover from it, we have to know the exact nature of the disease. And in my case, you know, I, I never could, I had a hard time because many years I, I, I didn't know what my problem was and finally I come to the conclusion it was drinking. You know, and after about 14 years of drinking, I said, I don't believe you can drink. You know. <laughs> the only thing I worked at got worse. You know, usually practice makes perfect. You know, but practice in this thing may got worse. And after about 13 or 14 years, I said, I don't believe you can drink. So then I decided to quit. You know, and I found out I was just as bad at quitting as I was at drinking, you know. <laughs> so <clears throat> he said that these, this disease is a twofold illness. He says we have a physical allergy to alcohol and a mental obsession of the mind and a physical allergy. These two things coupled together make us powerless over alcohol. For many, many years, the medical people tried to, to treat the alcoholic. They sent the doctors, uh, they sent a lot of drunks to the medical doctors many years ago, and they said those doctors killed a lot of drunks, beating them on the knees with little rubber hammers. Yeah. And they said, well, I don't know. I can't see no problem here. He was just looking at one way. See me? He saw nothing medically wrong. And then they sent him to the psychiatrist, and he asked the psychiatrist, asked him a lot of dumb questions. He gave him a lot of dumb answers. <laughs> and he could not see. He looked at it just as a mental problem. But Dr. Silkworth was able to step back and look at it, look at it and see the picture. He said, I believe it is half and half. He says, I believe 
And he begins to talk about the physical allergy to alcohol. You know, and he uses that word as another word that transmits ideas. What is an allergy? You know, I had a, I had a lot of, you know, I, I could understand the word, but I really didn't convey, you know, how was I allergic to alcohol? Now, I didn't even know what it was. I, you know, we say an allergy is an abnormal reaction to a food or chemical substance. We have, we have an abnormal reaction to, to alcohol. Now, it's pretty hard, you know, if you're an alcoholic and you have been for quite a few years or three or four years, it doesn't take long. You get kind of used to that. Now, if you've been an alcoholic for quite a few years, or if you've been an alcoholic since you first started drinking, it is very difficult for you to understand that you're an abnormal drinker. See, we abnormal drinkers have been drinking abnormally for so long, and we've been drinking with some other abnormal drinkers, so abnormal is normal to us. <laughs> how do you know you're abnormal? Or how much you drink? Oh, about like everybody else. Well, I'm sure glad. It... <laughs> well, I'm sure glad everybody else didn't drink like me. <laughs> but, but so we have to really to understand how you're an abnormal drinker. You have to first understand what is a normal drinker. I never looked at that. You know, they say normal, normal so-called social drinkers or whatever we want to call those people. <laughs> so they, they take a drink of alcohol. Alcohol is a, a toxic drug. It is. A, it, 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 it actually can be poison to the system if you put enough into the system. So it's a poison. Now our bodies, uh, we, have, we, are, uh, we are marvelous mechanisms, mentally and physically. We're God's greatest creation. There's nothing on the earth like the human body that we all have, the mind and the body that we have. Now, once anything goes into the system, our bodies, our body has a unique way of, of, uh, of immediately diagnosing what it is we put in. And then it, it, it reacts uh, chemically and produces certain enzymes or chemistries to handle whatever, if we put in a piece of steak, it, it says steak, right? If we put in a sweet potatoes, it says sweet potatoes. You know, you can't fool the body. You can't put in sweet potatoes. And that is no sweet potatoes. <laughs> Whatever we put in, our body knows exactly what it is, and it signals certain organs in the body uniquely to act of whatever it was we put in it. And, and the average, uh, when the social drinker, he puts alcohol into his system, it's a poison. His body recognizes it's a toxic poison. And he has certain chemistries. And certain, he has a certain reaction to it. First thing they say to a normal social drink, it makes him dizzy. One drink. He <laughs> gets kind of dizzy. Um, and that's a, that's a normal reaction to a drug like alcohol. And it says that uh, it makes him so nauseous. A couple of drinks in his system, he gets kind of nauseous at the stomach. And, he gets, and after a while, he gets a sense of being out of control. Now, that's a normal reaction to alcohol. That's what happens when a normal social drinker takes a drink. Now, that didn't happen to me. I took a drink, I didn't get dizzy. And I didn't get nauseous. If I did, I put another one down there on top of it real quick, and it stayed. You know. <laughs> and I didn't get a sense of being out of control. I got a sense of being in control. But the main thing that separates me, and immediately I wanted another drink. 
And he said, that is an abnormal reaction to alcohol. Dr. Silver said the craving of alcohol is a manifestation of the allergy and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. Normal people do not crave alcohol. You know, I couldn't, I never figured that out. About those social drinkers, every time they drink, they get all they want. <laughs> and I drank for 16 years, and I never remember one time saying, I got enough that night. I never did get enough. <laughs> so my reaction uh, is different than other people. And we look at this, you know, he talks about the allergy to alcohol. He said there are many different types of alcoholics. You know, he talks about the, in the book, the five types of alcohol, the psychopaths, and we won this. And all these people, if we all took a drink, we always try to compare ourselves with other people. Oh, am I an alcoholic? Well, you hear somebody, well, he went, he got three DWIs. I didn't get but two. I don't believe I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> She's been married six times, you know. She's an alcoholic. I ain't been, I just made four, so I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> and we go around comparing, this is not the way we do this. We study out the doctor's opinion. The doctor's opinion says there are many different types of people. You know, if we all took a drink tonight, God forbid that we do in this place, you know. <laughs> Boy, I just couldn't imagine that, but if we did, everybody took a drink tonight here, well, you know, it would be a lot of No two people would react the same. No two of us would do the same thing. Yeah. One of us would immediately be up on top of there dancing and raising hell. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> having a good time. One would be sitting over here crying in his beard. Ooh, 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 world ain't Two of us would start a fight back in that corner. <laughs> and two over here would be putting the make on each other. Yeah. <laughs> No, two of us would act out in behavior-wise and, and do the same thing. But all of us as alcoholics, we would not have but one thing that we would all do. Just one thing that we have in common. All of us would immediately want another drink. See? That's the one thing we have. We would all crave another drink, although we would act different. <coughs> So, you know, we are abnormal drinkers. The doctor says the only thing that we suggest is entire absence. And this is all the doctor knew about at that time. And, you know, he didn't know anything about the breakdown of alcohol and the enzymes, so they hadn't really talked about that. But nowadays, you know, as we learn, we're learning more and more about the disease of alcoholism and the things that we're learning are, are actually bringing out the doctor's opinion in 1935. You know, what is the normal reaction to alcohol? And, we, and he says that, one, and we think the nine people who, who drink normally, and once they take a drink of alcohol, they put it into their system. And the body, the body, reckon, the body produces certain enzymes or chemicals to metabolize alcohol. When alcohol comes into the system, alcohol is a toxic substance. In other words, it can destroy the body. So the body has certain protective enzymes to attack the alcohol in a normal drinker. And he breaks it down to acetaldehyde, down to diacetic acid, down to the acetone level, which is broken up into simple carbohydrates. Then this is broken into three, three products, water, sugar, 
and carbon dioxide, the water is passed off by the body. Uh, the carbon dioxide is given off through the lungs, and the sugar is burned up, I've stored as simple energy by the body. This is a normal way to metabolize alcohol. It takes a, the, the alcoholic, it takes the normal person about an hour to metabolize an ounce of alcohol. Uh, if he drinks any fast and that will build up, he'll get uh, nauseous and dizzy, and in most cases, he, uh, he'll pass out or vomit or do something, you know what I mean, but there's really no problem with these people. Now, let's look at this guy over here that's this. Boy, was I this. Now, this, we put a great drink of alcohol into our system. Our body recognizes it, but for some reason yet unknown, our body does not produce enough of these enzymes as we compare these two. We don't produce either in a sufficient quantity or quality like the normal drinker. Just like some people are, are diabetic. They don't produce enough of the insulin to break down sugar. The alcoholic doesn't produce enough of defensive chemistries against alcohol. So he breaks the alcohol down to the acetaldehyde, down to the diacetic acid. He gets it down to the acetone level as far as he can go with it at that time. Later on, you know, as he, he will metabolize it out, but it stops at this point. And this is a real villain because when this chemistry uh, is made up, which is a byproduct of the alcohol, it gets, to, gets with certain chemistries in the brain cavity, matches the brain cavity, and it produces a physical craving for alcohol. You know, once we take a drink, it gets into this chemistry, and immediately we crave the next drink. Now, I got to get up. He said, this does not occur in the average temper drinker. So he said, the craving of alcohol is a manifestation of the allergy. It's an abnormal reaction to alcohol. And he sees as if these people will never be able to safely use alcohol in any form. We can't safely use alcohol. Now, you know, I, <clears throat> the craving is what gets us. You know, we alcoholics. And I often, I can, I can now that I understand the problem, I can see why, I can look back and see how I was a victim of this thing. And many, many times in my life, I wonder, how did it do? Now I know how it happened. See, I'd get off of work and I'd say, my wife said, I want you to come home and cut the grass. Oh man, the hell for the grass. You know how we feel about to cut the damn grass. You know? <laughs> well, okay, she's raised so much hell, so I gotta really do it this time. But you know, everybody knows you can cut the grass better with one drink. <laughs> so we stop in the bar and we have one little innocent drink. Drinks that we see other people sitting in there, these normal social drinkers, they in there having one. What's wrong with me having a drink? So I go in there and have one drink. And uh, I got a visit with my buddy on the bar. So the phenomenal craving can develop, you know. <laughs> While I'm visiting there, this phenomenal craving begins to grow from one drink. And the craving starts, see it equals one drink. One drink, one unit of craving. <laughs> but that one, that one drink produces a craving of, 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 of one drink. And the craving says, why don't you have two? Ain't nothing wrong with two. And then go cut the grass. <laughs> but that second drink 
doubled the craving. Because the craving is, is doubled now, it intensifies. Because if, if the craving comes from alcohol, when I put more alcohol in, the craving is going to build up. So the craving is stronger. And then my mind says, well, don't forget about that grass. And when I say, oh, well, three won't make any difference, then we'll go. So we take three. By this time, you say, man, I really got to cut that grass. <laughs> and the third drink produces the craving is triple. And by that time, you know, you take the fourth drink. And your partner say, what would you say about that? I said, to hell with the grass. <laughs> <laughs> the more we drink, the more alcohol we put into our system, the craving gets stronger with each drink. So really we crave more after the fourth or fifth drink than we did after the very first drink. And the craving becomes beyond our control. We go through the well-known spree. We drink and drink and drink. And we never, we have never, I, I, as an alcoholic, I remember my experience as an alcoholic. I never remember satisfying, satisfying that phenomenon. I have never had enough to drink. I had too much. But I never was experienced one time when I said, I got enough that time. I did. <laughs> I never got enough. Now, so, it, and this, and this will always happen. You know, as a, as an alcoholic, we know that this will always get worse. Uh, the chem chemical deficiency will never get any better. The older we get, even though we don't drink, the chemical deficiency gets worse. If you got a, a, a deficiency in your system, it will get worse with age, whether you drink or not. Like I say, I haven't had a drink in over 24 years. But if I would take a drink tonight, the craving would be worse because the chemical deficiency is worse. Because I'm older and I produce less of the chemistries and metabolize alcohol than I did 24 years ago. And since there's no known way to treat this, but the doctor is simple. He said, that's simple. If you're allergic to alcohol and every time you take a drink, you crave it, he said, don't take the first drink. <laughs> and you will never experience the craving of alcohol. That's simple. So he said, these people can never drink safely. So because of this side, I can't drink safely. And that would it would be. That's, but now that I understand that part of my problem. Dr. Silkworth says that later on, our book says rather, this is a, we should understand it. Every alcoholic should understand, completely understand his illness. You know, after all, you know, if you're going to live with this, you need to understand what it is. But he says the main problem of the alcoholic sins in his mind rather than his body. And although we need to know this, the main problem is in our mind. The main problem is what makes me take the first drink? Why then do I take the first drink? You know, he explains it, you know, over here, and it would, to illustrate it, that everybody has a very complex emotional life. We're going to be doing all our work in here. This is what we're going to recover from. 
We all have feelings. They're God-given things. We're not going to get rid of them. They're supposed to be in life. We have loneliness. We have fear. We have resentment. We have all this. Anxiety. These are part of our, our human makeup. All people have problems with these. Now, we're not the only people on earth that have problems with their emotions. No one is free from this. They might look. You know, like a great friend of ours, he always said, you know, we always go around comparing my insides with your outside. He looks good outside. <laughs> but they got him too. Now, they, 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 they are the root of all human problems, and we see all sort of behavior problems in, in people as a result of these misdirected instincts. But we alcoholics, somewhere in the development of the alcoholic in his past life, you know, he has these little emotional buildups. Dr. Silkworth describes this as we are restless, irritable, and discontent. You know, I had these all my life. You know what I mean? I, all it was natural to me. I didn't know I was sick. I was just naturally sick, you know. You know, I was always like this, you know. Never really, you know, I had some comfortable moments, but never really satisfied with me. You know, comparing myself with other people. Uh, didn't fit in. Uh, these things just went with me constantly. And it was a problem. You know, other people, you know, some people commit suicide. Some people have nervous breakdowns. You don't ever see an alcoholic. He breaks down drunk, you know. He knows. <laughs> he finds another release for this. Somewhere along the line, you know, while having one of these emotional buildups, while having one of these problems, uh, he has the opportunity to drink, or it's a drinking occasion. And he noticed, while having a few drinks, while having a few drinks, that these few drinks depress his emotional level. And when I took a few drinks, he associated these two things together. I was, and I can now I can go out and talk to people. You know, it depressed my fears. I don't feel inadequate anymore. I'm a good dancer. Golly, boy, I can dance now. You know, I can talk to people. Uh, or these few drinks become a solution. Now we have the combination, the problem, and the solution. We've lived with this little old problem, and now, you know, I don't have to do that no more have an answer to it. And we add these two things together, put the big plus in there. And we add these, we add certain moods with, with chemicals. And, and we come, in our heads, addiction, add, addiction, means to add together certain moods with the chemicals. And we find our answer. You know, we said it. You know, it's the only problem in which the answer becomes a problem. Yeah. The answer becomes the problem. And you know, he says we build up to this point again. We become restless, nervous, and discontent. We build up to this point again. And it triggers this line. This line is obsession. An obsession is an idea that overcomes all other ideas. That's a powerful thing. Now, this idea will overcome many, many other ideas. 
You know, it was my wife's idea that I shouldn't drink. My boss's idea that I shouldn't drink. The police suggested it a couple of times, you know. <laughs> and a couple of judges, you know. Very influential people. <laughs> I mean, the doctor, you know, he knew medicine. And even at certain times, I myself said, you can't drink. No more for the rest of your life. But at a certain given moment, when I became restless, nervous, and discontent, within me, the idea to drink came up. And this idea to drink overcame my own idea, the doctor's idea, the judge's idea, and the police's idea. It was so strong it overcome mine and everybody else's idea, and I took a drink. So when we build up there, we have no defense over this once this obsession is triggered. And the obsession, the idea to drink, and then we said all action is born in thought. And when you take a drink, it's preceded by the thought to drink. It has to be triggered in the mind. All action is triggered in the mind. And we reach over and we take a few drinks. And that's the, the triggering mechanism of the whole illness. And this is why we're going to do all the work. Now, once we put the alcohol in the system, then quite naturally it goes over and sets off the physical craving. The mind triggers the body. And the craving is the acetones of the manufactured, the craving is started, and craving makes the first drink and the second drink and the third drink and the fourth drink, we play that all game. We go to the well-known spree, and down here at the bottom, when we come up for air, we repeat our alcoholic national anthem. I will never do that again. <laughs> now that's, we all say that, and we really, we really mean it. Some people don't believe we mean it, but we mean it. But if you were as sick as we were, we really mean it. <laughs> and we slowly start another build-up, you know. We're still restless. We're still irritable. We're still discontent. We're still lonely. We still feel like we don't fit in. So we'll say, boy, I thought I got in trouble. I'll never do that again. But we go along for a few days, and it gets worse. And finally, we build up, and our mind says, take a drink. And we take a drink to feel better. We reach over here to take the few drinks. The few drinks do depress this. It, go, it does the job some. It still makes us feel better, but it sets this thing off again. It, we feel better when we take the drink, yeah. But it sets off this circus in our life again. We go through the well-known spree, and the doctor said this is repeated over and over again, this vicious cycle. And it kind of gets smaller each time as the years go by. The trap gets smaller and smaller. The mind is triggering the body because the more the mind makes you take the first drink, the chemical deficiency gets worse over the years. The craving gets harder. As the craving gets harder, the drinking gets harder. As the drinking gets harder, then more emotional problems we got. We got to take a drink to get over what we did over here. It's really, you know, it's like a, it's like a tennis ball. It's like a tennis ball in a tennis match. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> and there's the alcoholic in the middle. You know, when he settles down, somebody knocks him back over on the other side. <laughs> and he says, "I'm gonna quit." 
Well, if we can't drink because of the body and can't quit because of the mind, as long as we're playing this game, we can't quit taking the first drink. And if we can't drink because of the body and can't quit because of the mind, then the conclusion is simple. We are powerless over alcohol. You can't drink and you can't quit, you're powerless. This is the first step. The first step in recovery is to see the track with you. This is it. Uh, you know, it's been said many, many years ago, the solution is simple once we understand the problem. Once we understand the problem. And this is where, you know, for many years I didn't understand this in my life. And thank God for Dr. Schilfer. He gave it to Bill, and Bill gave it to the first 100, the first 100 to give it to other people to put it in front of Big Book Alcoholics Anonymous, and today a million and a half people, alcoholics, have been able to understand their problem. This is the foundation of their recovery. Now, for many, many years, I couldn't understand. I, I, I see why I failed. I tried to control my drinking while drinking. I don't know if any of y'all did that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to say just three and just two and just four, and, you know, I tried to count them, and... I never was successful at that now because the craving, I realized that the craving got me. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I mean, just like a lot of people, you know, trying to treat themselves. And so for about, you know, a number of years, I said, well, after about, of doing this constantly, I finally come, come to the conclusion after about 12, 13 years, I said, I don't believe you can drink. <laughs> After all this trouble, you know, I said, you know, I heard a thousand people said it. Finally, I said, you know, I don't believe you can drink. Every alcoholic's been there. So I said, well, just quit. Oh, yeah, that's obvious. That's the problem. If, if drinking is all it is, just quit. Okay. So I quit. And uh, just, just quit. Didn't do anything about my life. See, I didn't understand this part. I'm, ain't got nothing wrong with me. Uh, just quit drinking. So I, I was still restless and ill and discontent. These things, these pressures were built up on me. And I went for nine months without taking that first drink. And I did like, you know, I got, did all the routines, you know, eat sweets, stay busy, and don't go to them places, and just be bored like hell, you know? <laughs> Everybody around you nervous, you nervous. The rest of them tipping, you know, around you and everything. And boy, it was tough. But I just quit. And it, I, was, I would build up the obsession to drink would come at me constantly. But when the alcoholic decides to do this, he gets his number one weapon out. And when he means business, he messes around for a while, but finally he says, I'm through. And he means it. So he gets his number one weapon out. He gets old Will. <laughs> and he gets Will out, he means business. So I put old Will up there and I blocked him off for nine months. And finally, one morning, my mind said, Oh, it's all right. Will Bar went out the window. And that little devil got through it. I took the drink and I was gone again. <laughs> so, what does Dr. Zilbert give us this? What is the problem? You're not a great physician. Uh, a psychiatrist, Dr. Carl Jung, said, I believe that the solution is in a vital spiritual experience. 
I believe this can produce personality changes sufficient to recover. You see, I believe this is the solution to alcoholism. I believe that people could make the personality changes and adjustments if they could live below that line. Then they could live below that line. Then they would never take the, then they would never have the obsession to drink. If they never have the obsession to drink, they would never take the first few drinks. Now, if they never take the first few drinks, they would never set off the craving of the body. This, we believe, is a solution to alcoholism. Some personality changes. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. You know, where we can make sane decisions about alcohol. So next week we'll go into the second step, the solution. And, and how to, what, what, and identifies that solution just as it lays out. Now that it is, is, is diagnosed a problem, then next week it's going to write the prescription of what is the solution to the problem.